I'm Dane Smith, and a warm welcome back to The GovX Show, our regular look at the inner workings of central and local government as we count down to uh, the GovX Digital Conference in November. I'll be honest, it seemed like a, a good idea at the time when my colleagues pitched the idea of regular interviews, though with a face made for radio and a voice made for the written word, I'd rather assume that they meant regular interview articles. And as we crank out more of these episodes, I realise I should also have asked for a tighter definition of regular. But as my marketing director likes to say, there's 24 hours in a day. So in for a penny, in for a pound, and speaking of pounds, that's the perfect and entirely spontaneous link to the focus of this episode, how the UK government has professionalised the commercial function within the civil service. We're lucky enough to be joined for today's episode by Marco Salzido, Director of Commercial and Contract Management Capability at the Government Commercial Function based out of the Cabinet Office. Unusually for the civil service, commercial leaders within central government, so that's grade seven and above, are all employed centrally by the government commercial function, as opposed to being employed by the departments in which they're attached to. This, I suppose, has helped ensure a, a common level of, of capability across government. Marco has also been responsible for ensuring that the many non-commercial roles within UK government, who nonetheless are expected to manage commercial contracts, are provided with training and face-to-face -face support they need. So now that I've sold you the sizzle, let's get to the steak. So Marco, welcome to the GovX show. How's your week been? Have you been winning? Uh, yeah, no, good, good week this week. Uh, challenging as always, but overall a, a good week, but quite pleased it's Friday, bit of an opportunity for some downtime over the weekend. Yeah, I, I know how that feels. Uh, I mean, obviously it's not, not quite com comparable with uh, what's going on inside government, but I'm finding a, a lot of my time being being sucked into meetings. And uh, there's a thing about virtual meetings is that uh, it seems somehow that people can cram more of them into a given day. Are you, are you finding that? I mean, how's your experience of, uh, of the shift to that, that sort of virtual catch up with colleagues? Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. I mean, I, I can't underestimate the move to virtual and, and just what a transformation that has been for for kind of civil servants like myself. Um, and I think for, for, for people outside of working in the private sector, it, you know, there's, there's always been a bit of a balance between some homeworking and virtual meetings and conference calls, etc. But, you know, literally overnight, we went from always face to face meetings, 99% of the time to, you know, to, to virtual uh, working. And amazingly, how people have reacted to that, really positive. Uh, there's no doubt that suddenly the day becomes kind of quite quite relentless, I think, um, with little time to move between meetings. So before, you know, I I'd often find myself running between meeting rooms and that, that obviously doesn't happen now. But I think what I would say, which is a positive, is the meetings are far more focused. Mm. Um, and and actually, uh, it's it's strengthened the sort of let's make sure we've got a really clear agenda. What is it that we want to get done? Uh, is this a decision or is this a discussion? So, uh, although there's more of them, they're probably more effective, um, which I think is actually why during the the, the the sort of COVID time, you know, government has been able to move very quickly, or, or we think we've moved very quickly on some stuff. Yeah, I think uh, certainly some people have said that it's it's been uh, tougher for extroverts than it has been for introverts, but possibly in, in the scheme of things, that could still be a, a net gain overall, I think. Uh, and, and certainly we are very early days into, into this sort of huge sort of 
transformational shift to, to virtual meetings. Yeah. I think, I think that the technology and, and how we use it is still in its sort of infancy and uh, there's you no, know, the real gains probably possibly are still, still to be realized, so. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I think what is interesting is if you think about the demographic of the workplace, you know, the, the, the bulk of the demographic of the workplace are people who have, you know, have, have grown sort of with the internet um, and, and taken steps as the internet has grown, the sort of virtual working, uh, you know, social media, etc. If you think about the demographic of the future, you know, th those people the children who are today they are perfectly comfortable to be on their phone all the time video calling you know networking via groups social media etc etc so i actually think in you know probably 10 years time um I, I you know i think the way people work won't for us it feels quite strange but i think for the majority of the workforce it probably won't do and in fact almost going back to a sort of office face-to-face -face environment will feel very odd for them um, so yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's uh, I mean, goodness me, who who would have known that a pandemic would have caused such a sort of seismic shift, yeah. you know, in in the way people work. Well, I think I'd rather jump the gun. Apologies for this. <laughs> uh, so perhaps uh, we could just start off maybe by giving our our, our listeners and viewers a, a quick overview of your role in the the government commercial function, and perhaps explain I suppose how you and your team work across and within government departments. Yeah, absolutely. So, so effectively, um, I'm running a team of people and we're doing two specific areas of focus. So, so the first one is helping um, uh, what we call commercial people in central government at the moment with ambition to move beyond that. We're about four and a half thousand uh, who deal with commercial activity, simply raising their capability. And we do that through a tried and tested methodology of um, recruitment and then assessment and then training on the back of that so that we know that you know we have uh, qualified accredited individuals working on our commercial activity and coupled to that is an employment model etc cetera, etc cetera, where we centrally employ as well which is unusual in government most people you will find are employed to work specifically in a department in the commercial function for our senior leaders so our sort of what we consider commercial leads or grade sevens and above we actually centrally employ um, we've been doing that now for well over three years it's a sort of tried and tested methodology um, clearly taking a little bit of a a turn as we move into the virtual world but by and large hugely successful uh, you know the quality of, the, of, of our commercial folks uh, our focus on learning and development we spend a lot of time focusing as well helping them think about their careers with professional career coaches talent management etc um, and that's really come to the fore uh, well a good example you know la last week at the beginning of last week i was asked to stand up a procurement organization to support test and trace we were able to within five days you know source over 40 people out of the commercial organization to go and move into test and trace uh, and they all were at the required level and we were able to do that really quickly we did the same for, for ppe as well so that's the commercial side of it um we continue to grow we continue to train we're beginning to focus now on continued professional development so once you've done the training program you've reached the accreditation level you know what's next how do we keep uh, learning and development really up to date for commercial professionals in in central government and we have uh, you know ambition to think beyond that how do we help our colleagues in the wider public sector as well 
So that's sort of, I would say, um, you know, Workstream 1. Workstream 2 is contract management. So this is slightly different. We are completely agnostic as to where people work, which department they work for, and what work they do. And we've, we have stood up a, a program. Uh, part 1 is online. Part 2 is, uh, was face-to-face. -face. It will now be virtual to help people who manage contracts in government. Uh, what we find is most contracts in government are not managed by commercial people. They're managed by people sitting in policy or in finance or in HR or in frontline operations. Um, and we estimate we've probably got somewhere in the region of about 30 to 35,000 people um, who do this type of activity alongside a more formal day job. So. Uh, we stood a program up to uh, to support them. The online program has just over 10,000 people registered. Over 7,000 people now are um, accredited, um, and we're continuing to to build on that. And um, you know, we we see it, it's um, what we call the sort of three-legged the three-legged stool. So in order to um, manage um, public money that we spend with suppliers successfully there are three legs to the stool that you need to do properly one you need to make sure you run the procurement well and award the contract in the right way to a good supplier secondly you need to manage that supplier's relationship in the right way and then thirdly you need to manage the contract in the right way so our strategy is to try and strengthen those three legs of the stool um, and make sure we you know get maximum value out of the contract you know, maximum quality, um, but, you know, significantly better delivery for the taxpayer. So I know you came uh, to government via, via BT. Um, I suppose, looking back across your, your career, what have been um, some of the key milestones for you and perhaps some of the key lessons you've learned which have sort of fed into your, your, your role now at the government commercial function? Yeah, I mean, so I'm a, I would, sort of call myself a procurement generalist. I've been really fortunate in my career. I've bought lots of different things. I had a, a period of time buying for resale. I then moved into, you know, pure procurement where it's not for resale. Um, you know, some of the some of the highlights I was I was involved in the really early days of of, of mobile technology. So uh, I was a I was a buyer of mobile phones for a long time in the really early days when Nokia was dominant. So um, you know, I, I distinctly remember Nokia turning up to present their latest product and it had a camera in it. And we all sat around the table and said, that's absolutely ridiculous. Why would you ever want a camera on your mobile phone? That would just never work. So it just goes to show how wrong people can be. Um, <clears throat> so for me, some, you know, some of the highlights are the step changes in, in sort of mobile technology that's happened. I was really fortunate to be part of that. Um, some of the lessons uh, that I've learned uh, uh, along the way is time spent up front in the procurement activity before you even get to um, the process of awarding a contract so by that the time spent up on defining what it is you want to buy or the outputs you're looking to get um, is is time well spent and whenever i've been part of a really successful procurement cycle through you know through the stages of sourcing etc cetera, et cetera, to contract award uh, where we've spent a lot of time in the early stages, that's always gone well. And where we've rushed the specification stage, not being clear, not engaged properly with the market, inevitably we've awarded contracts that at a point in the future haven't, you know, haven't gone so well. So I always encourage, um, you know, uh, people who are kind of starting their commercial journey on their procurement career to think about 
the cycle and to think about that, that early piece of time as being really important. And, you know, I had no, uh, no ambition to, to, to come and work in government. I'd never, frankly, even considered it. Um, and then a couple of years ago, sort of started to have some discussions and, uh, you know, suddenly realised the complexity uh, of what government does, the challenges, uh, and actually just how, you know, interesting uh, the work is. I probably quite hadn't anticipated quite how interesting it would be given the last the last sort of uh, nine months or so but um, yeah I mean I, I think it's a great place to, to work and I genuinely think there's a lot more that we can do to help build commercial and contract management capability. So I mean obviously you've been very focused since you joined on on improving commercial capability within government what I suppose was it that needed to change and, and why does it need to change? Yeah, so uh, I mean, this is uh, I'm going to cover this in, in in detail during the the conference, but we have what what's called a case for change slide, um, and it you know this is public information. So there were a number of pretty spectacular procurement um, um, errors, I would say, that cost government you know a lot of money, both in legal costs and in costs to the supply you know costs paid to suppliers for pure, for poor procurement. Um, and so as a result of that, there was a small piece of work done looking at capability uh, across central government, quickly identified uh, a number of areas lacking in capability, but also, you know, probably simply just not enough good commercial people. Um, and so this program was sort of born out of that, the whole concept of, of setting um, a set of standards and then assessing people against those standards and then where they don't quite make the mark, giving them some learning and development. The, the important thing I always talk about is I don't, um, my learning and development, my learning, the team's learning and development products are not um, how to do procurement. So how you would run an evaluation or what a good tender document looks like or how do you negotiate? We, we don't cover the sort of technical aspects we rely on partners and actually a lot of uh, in-house good capability to do that. What, what we bring uh, and look at are the softer skills, so commercial acumen, leadership and judgment, risk mindset, um, how do you manage a tricky stakeholder, uh, what does good stakeholder management look like, etc. I mean, you, you mentioned risk mindset. I mean, do we think, uh, looking at 2020, that... I mean, a number of people I've spoken to have spoken about how they think they, they get a sense that the risk profile of government obviously has has had to change in response to the, the urgency of the hour. But it's something that that might be retained as we as we move forward out of 2020 and behind this. Mm -hmm. what, what's your sense of that in, in general terms? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good observation actually. Um, I think what what has changed is the discussion around risk. Um, and I think previously, you know, risk was always discussed in the, in the context of here is a risk and here is a mitigation. And then a discussion around did the mitigation, is the mitigation strong enough against the risk? And actually, I think what has happened is that the conversation includes that, but it's moved on to what we describe as risk mindset, which is the appetite for risk, regardless of the mitigation. Um, yeah, so I think that's a fair observation. I think those conversations will will change. I think we've also learned in government the power of the supplier base. So certainly, um, you know, a lot of the areas where teams have had to react really quickly to to respond to the pandemic, 
we've used the power of the supplier base to help us achieve outputs and, and better outcomes. Um, and I think that has helped where we've been probably a little bit more open to say, supplier base, here's our problem statement. Uh, let's work with you to think about a solution before we even get to, um, you know, get to, to awarding any contracts. So that very early sort of market engagement, and we've had to do that, you know, at pace. And I, I use the ventilator challenge as a good example of that. You know, I think if if you just go back, let's say, um, you know, let's go back a year. I think if somebody said, you know, we need to buy some more ventilators, let, let's go and ask McLaren people would have gone, you, you know, you're completely bonkers. But because of the pandemic, we've actually been able to be much more open-minded and that particular activity has been phenomenal, the way that um, bits of industry have come together to respond to that, you know, to that need. And I think uh, that's helped certainly the commercial folks, but also lots of our stakeholders as well, you know, think a little bit more outside of the box. So obviously, uh a few spoiler alerts. Obviously, you touched upon some of the the, the topics that uh, you're obviously going to be covering as part of uh, your your specific presentation. That presentation is going to be within a, a wider session, which will also include a panel discussion, uh, which is sort of themed around buying into the future. So I'll, I'll I'll try to sort of not use up all your material now, so we save something for for November. Um, but perhaps we can just touch upon uh, you know looking at 2020 has obviously posed lots of questions that have. Uh, you know, when the process as a public sector of answering, uh, when it comes to the, the procurement function, what do you think we've learned in 2020 that helps us sort of plot its forward direction of travel in 2021? So, so I think what we've what we've learned is the the importance of having really good commercial people in the conversations uh, really early on when problem statements are being put forward. Um, and I think one of the big, one of the big, really big, powerful learnings out of all of this is the ability for us to be more systems driven. And by that, I mean, I don't mean IT systems, but I mean, when we, when we have a, either a policy to put in place or a problem to solve in government, I think we've, we've learned that by pulling together people from the dis different systems to work across that, people from finance, people from HR, people from comms, people from commercial, people from policy, people from treasury. So forming that, that sort of, um, that virtual team, if you like, to come along, to get together and problem solve has been enormously powerful. Uh, and I think that's one of the, uh, one of the, the big learnings which we will need to continue to take forward uh, into 2021 so that, um, you know, all of those individual bits of expertise are brought together to form a solution. Uh, and I wouldn't like to say it didn't happen in the past, but it did happen in pockets. But I think what the, the, the pandemic has forced the civil service to do is to really optimise that, that cross-system thinking. It's something that, um, you know, senior civil servants have been talking a lot. And I think we've now got really powerful case studies as well that demonstrates when you bring groups of experts together, you know, look what is possible to be achieved in, in often quite phenomenal timescales as well. Um, and that's something that certainly the existing government is, is, you know, pushing very hard on now as it looks to fulfill some of its, its policy 
um, you know, pledges. Um, you know, it, it is challenging civil servants to say, well, you know, you were able to do that in super quick time. Why can't we apply the same learnings, the same benefits to other future sort of policy outcomes? So I think that's one thing you will see um, uh, going, going forward, actually. So we're coming to, towards the end of our allocated time, but perhaps uh, we can sort of uh, round off sort of getting a, a, a better sense of you as, as an individual, just briefly. So what, what's perhaps some of the, the best professional advice that you've received in your career that, that you could share? Uh, yep. So I, I remember somebody always saying to me, when you're thinking about the, the next job, don't think about the next job, but think about the one after it. So uh, when you're ever thinking about, you know taking a promotion or a sideways move mm. just challenge yourself and say you know it will this will this enhance the opportunity for me to go you know to go further um and i you know i i didn't take that advice at a point in my career and uh i wish i had done looking back uh but now it's it's something i try to mm. apply uh and it isn't always about going up sometimes it's about going to do something slightly different for a while you get different set of skills and capability and then that allows you mm. to move up and uh, and where, where's your hometown? Sort of, uh, for, we've got loads of delegates uh, tuning in from obviously across the country, but also from as far afield as Mexico, Brazil, and Japan. So, for the benefits of, uh, of of those from outside the UK, where, where's your hometown, and what are the, some of the sights and sounds you might recommend visitors? To <laughs> uh, so, I'm I'm very fortunate. I live in 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 the county of Norfolk, which, if you look at the map, is sort of the, the sort of right hand side. It's the piece that sort of bulges out of of the of the UK map. Um, I live um, near a little market town called uh, called Elsham, uh, very sort of quiet and very rural. Uh, very fortunate to to live in that area. Uh, and I think if you were were coming up to Norfolk, and in fact during the pandemic, um, I know lots of sort of fellow UK citizens had staycations and, and the Norfolk Broads was a, you know, we, we were certainly uh, full during the summer period, let's say, with lots of people. Um, I, you know, uh, definitely the one area that, that's lovely, that part of the world, is, is right up on the north, north Norfolk coast. Um, I love it. It's, it's stunning, actually, and it's, it's still relatively unknown, uh, or was until summer, I would say. <laughs> it's a beautiful part of the world. Uh, uh, our marketing director here at GovX, uh, I think he, his bolt hole was uh, in Cromer. Okay, uh, lovely, yeah. Summer in, in Cromer, so, uh, you know, constantly telling me about the, the crabs that he was uh, eating it, yeah. catching himself. But uh, Yeah, it's a lov lovely part of the world. Uh, very nice. Great stuff. Well, um, perhaps uh, last but, but, but not least, if you could make a, a recommendation for a book, article, podcast or video, you've come across recently that you'd recommend of, of professional interests uh, for our audience yeah i mean that's that that's a uh, a good question so i'm i'm a, a quite a fan of ted talks so uh, you know any ted talks relating to uh, to procurement are always good um and then there was uh, an interesting article i think a few months ago um written about sort of the I think it I can't quite remember but I think it was about it was entitled that actually the role of the chief procurement officer is dead and uh, what what it will be replaced by is the chief um, transformation officer and I found that quite an interesting article really thought-provoking mm. uh, because they were saying that look, with the use of AI and technology you know procurement really needs to, to change commercial really needs to change uh, so I'd go and, go and dig that one out, uh, written by, I can't remember his name, unfortunately, but an American um, professor. 
um, in association, I think, with procurement leaders worth, worth having a look at. Okay. I'll, I'll do my research online and uh, if Thank we <laughs> cover that, we'll, we'll share that in, in the show notes. So, uh, so Marco, thanks so much for, for your time today. It's been a pleasure and obviously looking forward to having you join us for the GovX Digital Conference in November. Yep, very much looking forward to it. Thank you. So there you have it. Not only did we take a close look at how to develop the procurement function and commercial capacity of government, but we also got expert advice on where to run away to if 2020 continues as it started and civilization collapses. I'll see you with a car full of toilet paper in North Norfolk. So that's the GovX show, my friends. We reach parts that other public sector transformation podcasts just can't reach. But if you think this is good, just wait until you tune in to the live conversations at GovX Digital coming at you on the 17th and 19th of November. There's presentations, panel discussions, and a range of conference socials where delegates and speakers will get to chat with one another one-to-one. Of course, we don't expect you to spend three consecutive days with us. I don't even expect my wife to do that. So our conference format is designed around a series of self-contained 90-minute sessions, each focused on a different pain point or opportunity. So this allows you to join us only for those sessions that really resonate with you. You can get your free, if you're public sector, day pass or pay a small sum for the all access passes on the link below. I'd love to keep chatting and plugging the conference, but I have another episode to record. So I'll look forward to seeing you on the line again soon. Take care.